What is up, everybody, and welcome back to the Abundant Journey podcast. We have an exciting episode today. Back by popular demand is Whitney Elkins Hutton, and you guys are both laughing. Nick Offenkamp, my co-host in crime. Whitney, you're on with us here. Super excited to have you both on. Now, I say back by popular demand because, Whitney, I haven't told you this, but you are in our top five most downloaded episodes we've ever had. So thanks for being here. Uh, You know, we're going to dive in back to your story and some of the things you've done, but we had you back on in October and there's some exciting things happening for you here in 2024, but I'm just rambling at this point. So Whitney, how are you? It's great to have you back on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me and I'm doing great. Thank you. Absolutely. Nick, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm uh, I'm really excited. One because uh, since we had Whitney on, um, I know we've had a few people that have reached out to you after that episode, and one of those folks even being my dad. He listened to the episode with you, and uh, and absolutely loved uh, what you shared about building and protecting and making uh, generational wealth. And so I think he's even been doing um, some coaching with you. And I won't put you on the spot to ask, you know, how that's going to have to disclose uh, too much, but uh, but I know that uh, you've you've obviously had an impact through that. And then today we get to talk about a uh, an exciting project that you teased the last time that, that we were on that you were working on a book. But now we're just gosh a, a few weeks away. Uh, by the time that this episode drops, your book will be available for free order uh, for pre order. Um, Money for tomorrow: How to build and protect generations generational wealth. So congratulations on uh, coming to the end of this this huge project. When did you start on this book? Oh, that's a loaded question. <laughs> First, thank you so much for having me back on. And Nick, your, your, your dad is a joy to work with. Like, um, you know, he's a model, you know, a dream coaching client for anybody. So yeah, I'm super excited to create some impact in this world. Um, when did this book begin? Oh, wow. Uh, you know, really this book is this kind of a culmination of all of my learnings for the past mm-hmm. like 22 years, right? I stumbled into real estate completely by accident in 2022, bought a house with a significant other. And, uh, I think I told you guys last time I was on the show that before I even bought that house, my realtor put the big purple Bible in my hand, which is rich dad, poor dad. I yeah. read that book and I jacked it up, honestly. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I must have sped read it, skipped, skipped a couple of chapters or whatever. But long story short, I did really well on that first project, even though I thought it was going to sink me. But I was completely bitten by the real estate bug. But over, you know, the, the money for tomorrow, um, how to build and protect generational wealth, really, uh, it doesn't chronicle my journey in building my real estate I hate to say it, empire, right? Like yep. that's usually a really yeah. weird word, um, you know, to use here. But my real estate portfolio, but it chronicles um, my learnings along the way of like what it is. What does it really mean to build generational wealth? Like if generational wealth were a game, like Monopoly or Catan or something like that. Like what's the objective? I finally like took me a few years to really fully understand what the objective of the game is. What are the rules that you have to play by? And then what are those strategies that you have to learn in order to master the game? You know, the strategies you have to really like get effective at, like, right. If you're looking at monopoly, right. You're trying to, one of the strategies is you're trying to buy up as much property as you possibly can. If you can nail down boardwalk and, 
Oh, what's the other one? We have the kids. We park have the place. Park, park place and boardwalk, oh, right? Boardwalk. Well, like, so for me, yeah. we have the National Parks version. So it's Yellowstone and oh. Yosemite, right? Like, okay. yeah. so those are the big, big those guns. Are the good parks. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, you're less likely to get totally knocked out of the game in the early rounds, but you still have to continue to, to strategically grow your portfolio. Yep. Anyways, so, but so many people often start with the tactics. They like jump on a podcast, they, they go and go in a form and guys, I love podcasts, but that was the hard thing is I heard about all these tactics. Then I had to like start piecing it all together into a plan. And it took me probably like 10 to 12 years to really start zooming back out and be like, whoa, 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 hold on. This is, I got to learn the strategies here and the yeah. actual rules of the game and before I can start mastering these tactics and really matching the tactic for where I am in my investing growth, yep. where I am in my life. And so really that's what that book uncovers. Um, so I started writing this book to summate all the learnings here so my daughter wouldn't have to go through similar struggles, right? Yep. It applies today. It will apply to her whenever she's, you know, investing in guys. She's 11. We're already starting that process. But That's like, amazing. I love it. Hit by a bus. Right. Like she'd have that playbook right there. And then I was yeah. like, wait a second. I have these coaching clients. I have these mentoring clients. Like let's run them through this framework, right? Because they're it. talking to me about buying real estate, but let's make them the most fortified investor possible. possible. Yeah. Right. And some people, had 20, 30, 40 properties already. I have one client that has 196. And I was like, let's go back. Let's pull back a little bit and make sure that your financial moat is secure, that you're using credit wisely, that, you know, you're doing all these things that you're actually, you've got your, 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 you have your plan in place to pass this portfolio along to your two kids. And so, um, and it was unreal to me, you know, I just assumed, right. We all know what that word means. <laughs> it's saying that people, if you've got this far in building a real estate portfolio, you'd already master all these things. And that simply wasn't true. So long story short, Nick, very long, long story, actually long. Um, that was the culmination of the book was originally I wrote it for my daughter so she could stand on, on the, the progress of my portfolio build and learn those rules, learn the game in it quicker. Right. But, um, it's really for anybody who's trying to get to their first investment or you already have your first investments and you need to go back and make sure that you've filled in all the gaps so you're a fortified investor moving forward. I love that. The same with, um, I, I love how the heart of the book started with wanting to speak to your daughter and pass all of this along. But what is really incredible about this book is that timeless nature of it. And so, sure, you've got your 11-year-old daughter in mind and thinking about her whole future ahead of her. Um, but the fact is, is that this isn't just, like you were saying, one tactic and uh, a real specialized view of here's how you do multifamily investing. But this is really a playbook for wealth that people... Um, not just can, but ought to come back to year over year throughout their investment journey. And I think you do a really amazing job talking about the different phases that there are that one goes along as they're first uh, building wealth and then protecting it, which is something that I'd love to get into here because that's not something that we talk about very much. One of the quotes in your book is about how actually protecting wealth is harder than creating it. Um, So I'd really love to get some of your thoughts on there. 
Um, but then also the the final piece of, of passing it on. And so it is really amazing how your book is uh, not just all encompassing of your life, but for anybody who picks it up and reads it, um, it's going to be something that serves them not just in the moment they're in today, but throughout their investment journey. Mm -hmm. Um, so Nick, I, it seemed like you got something lined up as far as the next, uh, next spot you wanted to go. I'll let you take it. Well, I love the, I love the catch up here with what you've been working on. And obviously this is multi multi year in the works, but for some folks, I would imagine they're not super familiar with you. And as I was thinking about us jumping back in here, I actually wanted you to give us about a two minute catch up to your journey or five, whatever you want to do. But really my thought process was we don't oftentimes hit the accolades of our guests because the focus is more on the journey and the lessons you've learned. And we did that last time, but I want to hit on the accolades because I think it speaks to your, your platform, the book, why you have not only a story to tell, but why you have these lessons that any of our listeners, as you've said, whether they are just starting out or they got 190 doors and are multimillionaires can pick this thing up. So remind us of your journey, maybe for folks who haven't heard your journey or your story before, catch them up and then uh, let's dive in a little bit more to the book. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah. So I am the director, currently the director of investor relations, or excuse me, not investor relations, investor education at passiveinvesting.com. Uh, and I'm also the founder of ashwealth.com. And so Ash Wealth is where I do my one-on-one -on -one coaching, you know, specifically uh, focused around the content that's in Money for Tomorrow. At PassiveInvesting.com, you know, I help investors understand um, this particular tactic, really. Like, how do you use passive syndicated investments to grow your portfolio in multifamily self-storage, express car washes, real estate debt? Um, and so, and I, for me, the... The, the two are extremely intertwined, right? I, it's, yep. I'm constantly ebbing and flowing between the two, the two, uh, um, you know, uh, businesses or priorities in my life um, from a, a real estate standpoint. Um, how I got here? Well, I, I hate to tell you, I don't have a real estate degree or anything like that. <laughs> it's the school of hard knocks, really. And, and a lot of time and effort. Um, so I, you know, I alluded to that property that I you know, picked up in 2002 uh, and uh, stuffed it full of roommates, completed the rehab. You know, this is after, you know, my partner um, and I split ways. And, uh, but YouTube didn't exist back then. So I had to learn how to do all of this, like from a book. I know, like drywall from a book, like the Home Depot one, two, three book. Well, by the way, guys, I still have, it's an amazing. Wow. I know it's all on video now. And that's probably the chic thing to do is like, look at the videos, but the book is amazing. Um, so anyway, so I can, you know, completed the rehab on that property, sold it. Um, and I was like, Whoa, okay. I'm like now not going to go through financial ruin. And I was like, wait a second. I had eliminated my housing bill. I was making like three or $400 a month. And I just walked away with a $52,000 check more than I made in my day job. I'm like, what? <laughs> hold on. <laughs> hold the go. Yeah. Yeah. This right here. And I didn't have to go through a degree like or anything like yeah. that to get it. I was like, wow, I just have to learn how to provide value. And that was the big lesson for me is how do I un unhook providing value from the time that I had and um, did several more projects like that along the way. And then I met my husband and we did a couple projects together 
And we really realized, we were like, wow, we're great at building equity, but that doesn't pay your monthly bills or like you can't go to the buy groceries and say, hey, I'll pay you whenever I get that book done in like eight months, right? <laughs> so we needed to figure out a way to like convert some of that into cash flow. And so a friend of ours just one day, complete slap on the forehead moment was like, well, why don't you just rent the property? I'm like, oh, genius. <laughs> we began <laughs> renters and we're like, oh, that's what our landlords were doing. Amazing. So um, I'm a ready, fire, aim type person. So, you know, the next thing you know, within two years, we had 36 single family properties. Wow. Um, wow. Some of those were turnkey, handful of those were turnkey, but majority of them, we were putting our rehabbing skills to use, um, building teams, um, managing teams from a distance. And then we were still doing about 10 flips a year on the side to continue to you know bolster our capital reserves so we could continue to invest. And Totally. Yeah. It sounds really cool to have 36 single family properties until you have to figure out how to manage all those. Um, mm. you know, and we had property management, but I was like, wait a second, why not just have a couple multifamily buildings? Right. Instead. Yeah. So we, you know, went through the process of like trying to reposition those assets and, um, do we do it actively? Do we do it passively? I'm a nut. I'm like, why not both? So I did build an active and a passive portfolio and two things happened for me. Um, the active, you know, for me, I was like, wow, if I'm going to supercharge my time and get really paid for it, you know, public health probably is not going to do that for me. And that was the, where I was at, but active real estate can, well, what's going to give me true freedom is having those passive, truly passive streams of income coming in. Yep. And then, so really I was, you know, just like anybody that might be listening to this, I was trying to figure out any way possible to take those active streams of income and turn them into passive streams of income. And that's one of the first rules of the book, right? And this isn't anything truly new, but like, you know, um, true wealth comes from when you're, you know, true wealth is you can do anything you want, when you want, with whomever you want. Right? Generational wealth is that you pass it on to the next generation and they can steward it. Not consume it, but steward that wealth. Yep. Okay, so the first rule is learn how to create wealth. And that's how you do it. Take the active income, make it into residual income. Now, it's you know there's more nuances than just that. And so um, anyways, that's where we're at today. We have over... Um, 6,500, uh, we're probably closer to like 7,500 like residential um, units um, in partnership. Uh, I think we're, I just calculated last night because somebody challenged me yesterday. They were like, you need to have your real numbers in front of you. <laughs> I was like, fine. We're just short of 3,000 self-storage units um, in partnership, 15 express car washes, and then a myriad of other investments. But that is vanity metrics. Like yep. what it gives us is 100% control and freedom on how we spend our time. That's right. Because that's what we want. People want, they want financial freedom. And that really, I, I, I say five freedoms. The first freedom, that financial freedom is really a tool to get the other four. The other four are location freedom, time freedom, choice freedom, and freedom to create an impact in the world. And that, when you ask people why, why do they do what they do, they're usually after a combination of those five freedoms. 
Yeah, there's there's so much there. I mean, I love uh, one just your your story, um, and certainly the the success that, that you've had. But the the way that you measure it, I think, is what's so unique that you're not measuring it just in in terms of the what you called the the vanity metrics, which would be easy to do, right? Like uh, between residential self storage and uh, and the car wash, like you got over ten thousand doors or (laughs) properties, you know, not many people can say that. Um, But for you to be able to measure that in terms of uh, the lifestyle that uh, it allows you to have, um, the good that you're able to do now and thinking about the the future, I mean, that's that's huge. Um, And you talk about like in the intro to the book, um, there's kind of this idea, it's the generational idea, right? That the first generation uh, builds the wealth, the second protects it in the third, like spends and, and spoils it. Uh, that's kind of where the, the, the book starts. Um, and then you get into what it means to truly be wealthy and having this, this true, uh, time freedom. Um, I'm just curious, like what, uh, because you, you talk about how everybody wants that they want that, that freedom. Um, but it seems like so few people have that. And so, what do you think is the the big disconnect for a lot of folks between the that sort of universal desire for freedom, but so few actually seem to obtain it? Oh gosh, um, I you know to boil it down to one is really hard because I think there's different camps, but you know kind of sure. the top two or three um, would be resiliency and resourcefulness. And maybe like if you boiled it down to just one, it would be resourcefulness, right? Because resiliency is part of being resourceful. Um, It's not about you have to know everything, right? Or you have to have all the money or you, you know, you have to do everything, right? We talk about this early on in the book, right? Like, you know, define what you want, why you want it. And then who do you have to become to get it? And that, that's a principle that I learned from some very good friends of mine at Cashflow Tactics. But when we get down to the who you have to become, you know, I, you know, I picked that part further. It's like your mindset, your skills, and then the networks. And even in the network, it's not about in the skills. It's not about you developing the skills. Who do you know in your world that can help you scale this? And so those are the type of things that's the it's a mindset shift, right? To be resourceful, like you know, um, to to really lean in that the world is conspiring for you, not against you. Hmm. And so, one of the first things that I work with with my clients, I really encourage them: get rid of all social media on your phone. It, you're gonna find it. It's gonna be on your laptop. It's gonna be on your friend's phone or your spouse's phone or whatever. You're gonna you're not gonna miss out on anything. Hmm. Get it off your phone. You know, block it. You know, during your work hours, get the news feed off your phone. Right, like really <laughs> cultivate your mind and like, you know, because when people say they don't have time to work on something, or they're so, you know, there's usually a distraction in there, right? So that's a key a point about being resourceful. Like if you, you know, okay, everybody, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. Why is it some people can use it? you know, more efficiently and effectively than other people. Let's start with some like low hanging fruit. That's what I mean about being resourceful. You know, somebody says, I don't have the down payment on a property. I have one client right now. She really doesn't have the down payment on a property. And there's an amazing property that comes up. And I, I challenge her 24 hours. Let's make a list. Let's figure out all the people in your world that might have the down payment. Yeah. And um, we went back and forth. And I'm like, you're not being resourceful enough. Let's try again. And then finally she was like, she asked like 
some of the people in the group that I coach. And then like all of a sudden she had the down payment. Like, <laughs> right. I was like, you have people in your world. Like we just, you know, so stop trying to do everything yourself. You know, you know, let's look beyond that. Um, the other thing that I think might get them a little stymied is when we talk about this early on in the book, it's a concept from Tony Robbins is, you know, who are your, what are your saboteurs? You know, and, and mm. those little, the little devil that sits on your shoulder and that speaks to you saying that you're not enough, like this will never mm. work or you don't deserve this, right? Let's identify those little devils that sit on your shoulder because they don't go away. You just learn how to tame them, mm-hmm. right? Even Grant, guys, I guarantee you, Grant Cardone still has a little devil that sits on his shoulder that speaks in his ear sometimes. He just knows how to ignore them. Right. So it's things like that. Like, how can we, you know, help people be more resourceful? And I I really hope that the early parts of this book really help speak to um, a myriad of stumbling blocks that people early on in their investment career go through that detour them from ever taking, you know, any further progress. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that, again, we talk about who this book is for and the range from these folks who are just stumbling into this or just trying to get their first property. And you can recount your journey in it, but I think also help them along their journey. Let's pivot a little bit to the other end of the spectrum. As you've said, you're working with folks who have already done some pretty incredible things, but yet the game changes over time. And I think that's so unique to your perspective because we're not told that. Again, going back to the whole social media and what the gurus are saying, no one's talking about the protecting, the keeping wealth. Uh, Everybody's focused on getting and how do I get more and how do I get more and how do I start and how do I get my first property? But so few people say, all right, well, now that you've had that and built that over time, more of the game is keeping it. So kind of talk maybe one on your journey um, in learning how that's such a vital piece to this game, but also, you know, how the book speaks to that even more. Yeah, it, and, you know, I, I'll tell you why you see that in the news. It's because uh, in you know on social media and Instagram and all that because it's SEO and it's clickbaiting and it gets headlines. That's why you you see all that. People want to read how you grow your wealth, right? Like if I put up two articles, exact same article, and one is like the seven ways to grow your wealth, the other other is the seven principles on how to keep your wealth and grow it. I guarantee you the one. The other one with the other headline is going to get like a thousand percent more traffic. So it's really clickbaity, right? So I, that's why I also say take the news off your phone, get rid of social media because, you know. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, the protecting wealth piece, I mean, that is, gosh, there's so many through lines, you know, like little intersections where this is kind of, you know, popped up its head for me. In some cases, reared its ugly head. Um, you know, I tell stories in the book of settling these five estates in my family. And guys, when I say estates, it doesn't actually mean that the, the, the estate, they have money, right? You know, it just means somebody died and all of the remaining assets went into a quote unquote estate, right? Until the will gets executed. Okay. So, you know, I'm settling these estate, estates and, you know, I saw a lot of wealth being eroded you know, through, you know, not understanding, you know, um, you know, retirement fees and accounts, um, not understanding how to use insurance wisely, not understanding, you know, how to, you know, reduce your tax liability. I mean, and we're talking, 
you know, a few hundred thousand dollars. And that, you know, in the grand scheme of things is painful, but you compound that out over 29 years, 30 years, that's millions of dollars. And that's just at a modest return. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, and this is happening over and over in everybody's lives. I can't tell you of somebody that I've talked to that hasn't had a family member pass away and they'd be like, Oh, we lost this to taxes or we lost that to probate or we lost this to a creditor and just simple moves that could have been, you know, done to help, you know, keep that wealth inside the family. Um, so, you know, and, and also with some of my, like, you know, um, you know, clients that are further along in their investing career, uh, I see that's one of the exercises I send them back through. Like, let's identify these holes in your plan. And, uh, I mean, oftentimes they're, they're missing not just one or two, they're missing like four five or six of them, all six of them. So, you know, are they using interest wisely, right? You can pay interest or you can get paid interest. Okay. And it's not as clear cut as Dave Ramsey would have you think. Get rid of all the debt so you can invest. That's not it. That's not the, the. There's more nuance and math to that. Now, I think Dave Ramsey's concept is fantastic for somebody who has um, trouble with credit. If they have trouble with using credit wisely, yeah, get rid of your debt. Let's get the. Let's get rid of the the destructive problem. But for somebody who's like, yeah, I can manage credit wisely. I can control those that impulse spending. Okay. Well, let's, let's actually like root it in math on like, what's the best way to utilize, you know, credit and interest in order to scale your wealth insurance. So many people, you know, use insurance inappropriately. Insurance is a way to outsource your liability. You know, how many people do you know that are like, ah, I just have like a, a, a hazard health policy. Like I don't have a true health policy, you know, or they, they're like, oh, like my health policy starts at the end of the month. Like, well, a lot can happen in five days. You can have an appendicitis <laughs> attack. It's yeah. in the hospital, something you cannot control. That, and, you know, that's like, a, you know, $15,000 right there, right? Mm-hmm. And we just read about, you know, Mary Lou Rutten back in December, you know, had all those health troubles. You know, America's darling from the 1980s, and right? Like, you know, and the Olympic mm-hmm. champion. Yep. She can't afford health insurance, right? Mm-hmm. She chose not to carry it for a variety of reasons. Fees in your portfolio. This is a big one for me um, because, I mean, we can talk about low-hanging fruit, like banking fees. Um, fees hey, on, don't be hating on bankers. <laughs> I'm not hating on bankers. I'm, I know you're not. You know, just kidding. Like ATM fees, you know, account statement fees, like you know, all these like little $6 like fees or $3 fees or whatever. Um, those are low-hanging fruits. Get rid of them, right? Easy enough. But also, like, if you're investing in real estate, how can you lower your, you know, title fees, your closing fees, you yeah, know, yeah. late payment fees? Let, let's get rid of those fees. But the biggest one is if you have retirement accounts, you need to really fully understand what your the culmination of all your fees are in your retirement accounts. Because that one, um, you know, people lose not just tens of thousands of dollars, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars over 30 years, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And if you don't believe me, go set up an account on empower.com. It used to be personalcapital.com. Okay. Connect your retirement accounts and use their fee analyzer, Hmm. you know, calculator, and you will be stunned. Hmm. I know there's somebody sitting here that is like, Whitney, I got my 401k because I get a match. Right. And that's free money. 
go go take a look at that because yeah, you get that free money, right? It comes one time at that that one month that you earn it. You pay a fee on it, and that and that fee compounds over time. Hmm. Huh. Okay, go go do the math and like yeah. when you and I put a lot of this math in the book, you see the graphs and stuff like that. We compare all different scenarios, retirement account scenarios, you know, go do it for yourself and you will be shocked. I remember when I did this for myself back in, I was reading uh, Tony Robbins, money master the game back in like 2013 or 14. First of all, I was mad. Like because <laughs> my work wasn't providing like commodities and Ray Dalio's all weather portfolio. I was super mad. I kept going in and they were like, wait, you need to go. But then when I started understanding the fees and what was in the little like fine print, um, I was super upset. And one of the things that had changed in my portfolio um, is when I first started with that company, they paid to run the plan. And at some point in time, they just made a quick change and they just put it like, like the little two point font at the bottom. Like who reads that? Like, I mean, nobody. And all of a sudden that fee came to me. I didn't have to Mm. sign anything. They just had to disclose it. And they gave me a prospectus one year and you look at it. It's like, you know, printed on onion skin. Mm. You just throw it away. Right. Yeah. So I know those are three big ones, you know, real estate professionals. We understand about reducing taxes and stuff like that. If somebody, another one is if you have a large um, retirement account, going back to retirement accounts, and you plan on retiring, um, do, do you guys know what the required minimum distribution is for your retirement accounts? Do you guys have retirement accounts? No. Okay. I do, but I haven't looked into the, what the, the minimum distribution is. So it's going to vary like based on where you're at in your retirement, okay? But you can project that right now. Now, here's the thing. I want you to understand, because most of us do not intend on retiring poor. I don't. Right, okay? right. Your standard deduction on your tax return, what is like $25,000-ish? Yeah, right around well, there. You know, for a married couple. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you plan on drawing more than $25,000 from your retirement accounts in retirement? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You're probably going to trigger provisional income, which means you're going to get double taxed on your social security. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> for people that have like retirement accounts, like I typically, you know, when I write about yeah. this, Guys, I'm not an accountant, not a CPA or anything like that. Partner with the professionals to help you through this. But yeah, you want to figure out how to maneuver these accounts now, especially if you're five to 10 years out from retirement. Do that now. Okay. Because, you know, Social Security is a stream of income. And if you paid into it, you should get it back out. I fully believe that. Um, And then there's just proper estate planning. That's number six. That's where a lot of people like aren't protecting their wealth. Now, you know, people are like, oh, I got a will. I got a trust. I got all that. And have you planned for your incapacity? Do you have all the health directives in place, the power of attorneys, the living well, right? You know, did, you know, I tell a story about my dad hitting the emergency room. This is way back in 2000, whew, uh, two, maybe 2000. He passed away in 2003. And this is before like medical records were electronic and everything like that. His DNR was not at the hospital. They resuscitated him. And guys, I'm not complaining having those those few extra months with my father, but those few extra months cost about three hundred thousand dollars. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. 
how many people can like say they can afford that? I mean, we couldn't have, you know, at that time couldn't afford it either, but those are, that's how not planning for your incapacity can really drain, you know, your health accounts or your financial accounts. Um, and then part of that, you know, estate planning is, um, you know, training the next generation, training your heirs, training your executor, you know, just because you have that little piece of paper, that will, or the living trust, there's a lot more that goes into that to ensure that those assets pass along properly. Well, and I can speak to that too, even from a banking perspective, you know, we talk even just with business owners who, you know, two or three generations later, the, the next generation hasn't stewarded and learned how to even run the company. And we, we have conversations all the time where guys build $300 million, $500 million a year companies. And then two to three generations later, the businesses shut down. And so, you know, that's something that I'm in the space of as a banker. But again, all of the, the book continues to hammer that as personally and, and our personhood. And I just, I think so many people want to avoid those kinds of things or just believe it will all work itself out. And none of this you is... To, talking about that. That's right, right? But, but no, but, yeah. but the reality of it is, is that... The book, I think, just continues to impress, hey, learn the lessons, learn the principles, prepare for these sort of things. And it, it's not impending death where, you know, this is not to scare anybody. But I think at the end of the day, it's truly to equip you with the things you need to learn so that not only your life is protected and set up for the better, but also the generation that comes behind you. Mm-hmm. It was super interesting. Um uh, two, oh, a year and a half ago, I presented at Bigger Pockets BBCon, you know, which is, I was so excited. I was like, what am I going to talk about? I'm like, okay, I have this framework that I think everybody should know. I'm going to present on this framework. And of course, I couldn't go, you got like an hour. You can't go as deep as you really want to. <laughs> sure. And I think we had like an hour and a half. And I could hear the other rooms. It was a breakout session. I could hear that the room on either side of me had like, they had wrapped up. And I still had 30 minutes to go. And I'm like, oh boy, like, I'm not even halfway through my presentation. And then all of a sudden, everybody ended up in my room. And it was standing room only. And you can see all the wow. big names from Bigger Pockets standing in the back. And I was like, just sweating. I was like, all right, I get the last bit. I'm like, let's talk about. And I totally fumbled the words. I'm like, let's talk about how to die. And I meant, well thought is what I meant to say. And then everybody just kind of like looked at each other. They were like, what? And I'm like, no, that was not what I meant. <laughs> but, you know, the, the editor, um, you know, for Bigger Pockets Publishing came up to me afterwards. She goes, that was pretty, that was pretty bold for you to say, let's talk about how to die. And I'm like, I total, yeah. total flop. But yeah, it, we, we use, you know, I, I'm glad that mistake happened because we, it, I was able to use levity to get people to really see into the, this is a right. huge area to um to really address in their estate planning um and i really wish like you know in all five of those instances i never once was trained you know on what to do and the only saving grace that i actually had in one of them was my grandfather's estate my mom's father's estate um is that i had actually been running his finances for about a year um, I actually had to take them over from my mom and kind of get everything put back together again. And then he passed away. And I was like, okay, I actually kind of know what's going on here. I know where everything is. So that one kind of went a little smoother. But every other one, you, I just started off completely behind the eight ball. Didn't know what was happening, where things were. When my mom passed away, um, 
I mean, she had lived in a 4,000 square foot house, you know, completely, you know, her, you know, declining health. She had to take care of it. And there was, you know, her filing system, she had great records, great records. She never threw away a piece of paper. <laughs> no filing cabinets. Right? Wow. So walk in the house. Everybody thought she was a hoarder. And I was like, yeah, but this is just her filing system, but on the floor, like, you know, an inch, just a foot and a half. Stacks and stacks of paper. Stacks and stacks huh? and stacks of paper. It was a complete fire hazard. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> um, but anyways, fortunately, she was, like, actually really organized. Um, but, you know, I had no idea where to start, even with hers. And she was my mom, you know? Yeah. yeah. Let's let's talk here um, just about the last portion of the book. And again, I love this because I think this comes back to abundant journey mindset, stewarding, shepherding what you've been given, the why behind all of this. Because I remember the last time we had you on, it was like, hey, you've accomplished all of this, but you're still going. I mean, you're still going full speed ahead. You've achieved all of those five pieces of freedom, but yet the coaching you can't stop, the mentoring you can't stop. And here you are, you know, pushing the book. Um, so let's talk about that, maybe passing it to the next generation and the why behind that in, in hopes of what the next generation does with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, to speak into like why I do what I do is because, you know, for me, um, it's a journey, right? We've, we've talked about that. You know, for me, it was initially hitting that financial freedom number, right? Um, the vanity metric, if you will. And I was like, okay, well, I got this. What am I going to do now? Well, great. I need to get some of my, let's use this to get my time back and like organize, organize my work so I can do what I want to do. I was, I would, did retire. I've retired twice. Okay. I'm not even 50 yet. I retired twice. And then the first time I stayed retired for about eight weeks, the second time, two weeks. And I'm like, I'm not cut out for this. Like, I am the unretiree. I'm sure there'll be, but I like my breaks. Right? I've organized my life in such a way is that I can work hard when I want to work. I can take a break when I want to take a break. Um, so, uh, you know, as Gary Keller and Jay Papazon put it in the one thing, I've put my rocks in the water of my year so I can rest and rejuvenate. Um, but, you know, I wanted to create, you know, help people along the way, right? Why all this information is out there. Pretty much everything that's in the money for tomorrow, you can read thousands of blogs, listen to thousands of podcasts, go to conferences. You can learn this. You can piece it all together. But I wanted people to have a comprehensive plan to stitch it together quicker, right? Like if you draw two points on a piece of paper, right, um, you know, the quickest point from point A to point B is a straight line, right? But what happens if you fold the paper, Right. They're closer. That's what I wanted to do for people. Because we're all going to make more mistakes. This, this book isn't going to eliminate all issues or mistakes from your portfolio, right? You're going you're gonna to go create new ones, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> you're going to uncover something else. I wanted to give people more opportunity, show them that there is a way to do this, to scale their wealth, to protect it, um, so they could you know, get to living their life fuller, faster, um, and I, did, I, you know, again, it started with an N of one. That N of one was I wanted my daughter to fully understand, you know, what it meant, what wealth actually means. It's not just a monetary number. Okay. There's so many other things that go into this. Um, and, you know, just understand, you know, how do we maintain the wealth? How do we create it, protect it, grow it 
And then again, you know, her pass it on to the next generation. Um, you know, if I can keep just even one family losing $5,000 in probate, okay, that's going to be to their kids, that's going to be a hundred and they invest it. That's going to be their kids college tuition at least. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. in making that type of investment for their child, that, that kid can go impact. They can become the president of the United States and impact the whole world. I don't know who wants to be the president yeah. of the United States, <laughs> but I guess they can. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the, you shining a light on some of the things that we don't often think about in particular, like the, the fees and thinking through your uh, retirement uh, plans and, and all of the stuff that's otherwise so hidden or that we just assume like, well, future me will deal with that issue or maybe not even future me. Maybe, it'll, you know, I'll be gone and the next generation, they'll just, they'll just figure it out. Um, I think it's so good for you to be able to shine a light on those things and to really help spell out the the consequences for folks if they don't uh, act now um, to paint uh, not just the the negative side of like, hey, you could lose hundreds of thousands of dollars in fees on your 401k, but also the positive vision that you just spelled out for us of that like, hey, even just saving that $5,000 in probate invested, how much further uh, that can go. Um, man, all of that is just so good. And I can imagine, you know, I think about our listeners, which is quite a broad range of folks. We've got some people that are uh, younger, like they're in their early 20s. They're just starting to think about investing. And so I'm thinking from their mindset, like, uh, is it ever too early to start with uh, generational wealth planning? Um, Is there certain milestones that they need to hit first before any of this is relevant to them? And then the flip side of that is I think about um, some folks that they're getting close to the traditional retirement age. They're in their uh, mid to late sixties and they're about to, you know, hit the, the 401k start receiving uh, their distributions. And I could imagine some of them being like, man, it's just, it's too late for me. And so perhaps you can speak to both sides of that. Um, Is it ever too early and is it ever too late? for folks to be thinking through these things? Uh, no, short answer, no to both. Um, never okay. too early, never too late. Um, okay, let's start with the early camp, right? Um, and just, and, you know, no, obviously I love real estate. Okay, guys, no, no secret. <laughs> but, you know, um, Us too. <laughs> right? Um, but honestly, like, you know, the principles in this book can apply to stocks, bonds, and mutual fund investing. It can. Um, now, I do build a case for investing, you know, controlling your own investments and investing in real estate and, and, and businesses. But, you know, you could, if you were just like, I don't know anybody listening to this podcast that would just be like, I hate real estate. Um, but, okay, like maybe you you share the book with your spouse and they hate real estate. Well, the, the 97% of the other teachings in the book do apply to anybody, no matter what type of vehicle they invest in. Because remember, the real estate, is a tactic. The stocks bonds mutual fund is a tactic, right? Let's go back yeah. to the principle. And so is it too early? No, because if you start actually, if I, oh my gosh, if my 11 year old implements everything, uh, all the teachings of the book now today, and I mean, she, 
she doesn't even have to buy a piece of real estate to retire in her 50s, hmm. a bazillionaire. Like she doesn't, right? Because she has time mm-hmm. on her side, Yeah. right? That mm-hmm. time compounding will take care of it for her. Now, most of us are stumbling across this. Like, I, I don't know about you. My parents didn't teach me about money, like in my teens. You know, I was, my, my dad's uh, version of teaching me about money was, Doing my chores and getting a college scholarship so he didn't have to pay for like my college. That was that was my yeah. teaching about money. Um, so we're learning this like you know, twenty in our twenties or in our early thirties when we you know get out of school, get our you know first job or two. Um, so this is a perfect you know the earlier you can start the better. Yeah. You know, there's no better time than right now. Now, to somebody who's like five to ten years away from retirement or even really close to retirement. Um, is it too late? It is not too late ever to build a financial fortress for yourself. Okay. To make sure that you have, you know, all of these things in place. Okay. Now you might growing your portfolio. You're not going to take, you're not going to swing for the fences on large, you know, high momentum investments, probably close to retirement, but you know, it's never too late to make sure that you have like, you know, built your financial moat that all those leaky parts are gone. It's never too late to make sure that you're, you're passing this wealth along as effectively and efficiently as possible. It is never too late to train your executor on what your plans are, where all your documents are, get your assets, you know, um, lined up. I was uh, listening to, I was spoke at a conference yesterday and the speaker right before me was a lawyer and she's talking to you know, some real estate syndicators on the legal setup and they got into more personal stuff at the end, wills and trust and stuff like that. She says 99% of people that set up a trust never move the assets into the trust. Wow. I was like, I was shocked. Wow. I was like, are you sure? Because I'm sure like if I were a lawyer, I would like have that part of my package. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. People, you know, people just think, oh, the trust protects them. No, you have to move the assets into the trust. You have to, you know, have the intent to do that or actually do that. You have to educate the executor on where all those assets are. Right. Yeah. You know, even if you retitled yeah. it and they can't find all the titles, you know, if you have 50 syndications and they can't find everything, like how are they going to unwind everything for you? So you have to train the next generation. And then remember, it is never too late. If you're, you know, in your 50s, 60s, 70s, it is never too late to take all this knowledge and get it out of your head and pass it on to the next generation. This book can serve as a great primer for you. Um, but, you know, all of us are going to have our own um, experiences and obstacles that we went through in our life that can be so valuable to pass on. Oh, yeah. And I wrap up the end of the book where um, I, t- I talk about my two grandfathers all the way through the book. You know, how they were lived very identical lives but managed their finances so differently. And the one that I call him, you know, kind of he was he's kind of like the rich grandfather in a way. But, you know, he had money, had a little bit of money. Um, he never taught anybody anything, Hmm. right? Um, but he did, we all thought he didn't. We all wondered, Hmm. like after he passed, we're like, how did he build his portfolio? Like we could kind of see some things, but why did it, it would be really cool to have him back to like interview them, you know? Um, and then my cousin, you know, found this probably 60 page, 70 page document, like a memoir that he had handwritten like just random tucked into some random papers one time. I was like, 
And it was written back in the 90s. I'm like, well, we should have had that like <laughs> 25 yeah, right. years ago. Like my life would be so different. If the we, playbook was there. Yeah, it was. It was, it was such an amazing story. But yeah, like even yeah. just having that knowledge that he had. Right. Like, so right. it is That's never so too late. Yeah. And I'm glad that you call that out because again, like it comes down to how you measure uh, wealth and it's not just the number of, of dollars or assets in your portfolio, but that knowledge is so incredibly valuable as well. And so to be able to distill that um, to the next generation, to be able to share those lessons, I mean, I imagine that that is a huge part of the wealth game for most families. And, uh, and so, yeah, making sure that that knowledge isn't buried or hidden, but um, that you're able to to, to pass those lessons along, um, whether that's in the format that, that you've been able to do with an actual, you know, published public work, um, or even if it's just uh, making sure that you're really taking time to sit down with your kids or your grandkids and, and share with them uh, the lessons that you've learned, ask them good questions to get them thinking about these things. Or when you're surprised by how hard a, a tax bill or a, a fee hits, that you, you share that with others so that they're not not uh, uh, blindsided by the the same thing. Um, I think uh, that people can be shy about sharing those kinds of, of learnings. And so that's a really helpful um, perspective and, and balance to to point out that, that everybody's got something to, to offer, no matter, you know, what stage or, or degree of success you feel like you've had in your investing and wealth building career. Absolutely. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful, and uh, I think we would be remiss if we didn't end with a golden nugget round since we always do that. Now, however, we are not going to ask you the classic golden nugget questions, but this is Ooh. going to be more unique to you because you are our first guest who's been on for a second time. So are you ready to dive in? Yeah, let's do it. I love it. Well, I only got two questions for you here. So I want to go more here into your personhood and how you've learned. So question number one, reflecting on your writing journey, how have you grown as an entrepreneur, businesswoman, and person through writing this book? Oh, wow. Um, I think it's a lesson that I'm constantly like being taught over and over and over is that you can do the hard thing. Um, and, and, you know, doing the hard thing and just being resourceful. Because um, when I said yes to Bigger Pockets to write this book, um, I was like, okay, then how do you write a book? <laughs> like, I had no idea. And they were like, you know, initially they wanted me to write the book. They were like, could you write this in like eight to 12 weeks? And I'm like, no, no. Um, so, you know, the lesson I'm constantly being taught over and over is, um, you know, just, you know, how can I be resourceful? Like if there's something, if there, if there's something that you want right in front of you, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced it and you're just like, Ooh, this is not the right time, but I really, 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 really want it. How many times have we said no? And you'd be like, okay, I'll come back to me later. I was like, this deal will never come back to me later. So I have to say yes now and figure out the puzzle pieces later. Um, so yeah, that's a that's lesson. So good. That's, that's awesome. And I love that you continue to press in and take on the hard things and it grows you not only as a person, but we love receiving the wisdom that you continue to spill. So thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> 
the second one here, I'll, uh, I'll throw you an easy one just because it is in our typical golden nugget questions, but I think the answer can change for you now that you've written a book. So what is a dream or goal that you have that you've not accomplished yet? Oh gosh, <laughs> I have so many. Um, uh, you know, I, you know, I want to climb the, you know, seven tallest peaks in the world. There's a lot of them like in, in various areas. Um, you know, I would love nothing more than do a Ted talk, um, with this book, you know, you know, a little 20 minute talk because, you know, I know there are people that will buy the book, never read it or, you know, never even buy it, but there's just a whole different medium out there. And I want to be able to spread the me- message far and wide. And guys, this is, if you know how to do this, reach out to me. <laughs> there you go. I'm being resourceful. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, yeah, there's, there's some, I, I, uh, I'm really grateful one, uh, that, that you sent us, uh, an advanced copy for us to be able to read through. I think this is a really unique book that you have written because of, um, again, that truly the timeless nature of it. It's, it's not a book that's simply written for investing in 2022 through 2025 or the, you know, this hyper-focused kind of thing. Um, the strategies that you're talking about they're going to work in any market, whether that's a, a recession or whether that's a, a time that things are booming. Um, so that's huge. And uh, I love good books like this because they are the most like asymmetrical investment one can make. I mean, they spend 20, 25 bucks to, to buy a book and uh, you could save them at minimum thousands, if not hundreds of thousands that they could turn into millions through the concepts that you introduce here. So to all of our listeners, uh, it is an absolute no brainer um, that, uh, that even if you're just thumbing through a couple of the chapters that look really relevant to you in the season of life that you're in right now, um, it's going to be highly valuable. And this is a book that you're going to be able to return to year after year after year and uh, revisit in different stages of your wealth building journey. So incredibly valuable resource, Whitney. Congratulations uh, to you. Once again, to our listeners, it's Money for Tomorrow, How to Build and Protect Generational Wealth. Uh, I know that this is a book that's going to have wide distribution, so people are going to be able to find it anywhere. But Whitney, do you have a, a place that you would like people to pick it up or anything that you'd like to highlight as far as the best places for folks to go if uh, if they want to pre-order or order the book? Yeah. So uh, if you go to Bigger Pockets Bookstore, um, you know, starting on February 1st, uh, it will be available to pre-order. The reason why I drive people there is because uh, there are going to be freebies with the book. If you do, if you order in the pre-order period between February 1st and 21st, you're going to get a free four-series masterclass with me implementing all the different teachings of the book. You're going to get a suite of tools that complement the book. And then even afterwards, if you're listening to this like in April, don't worry, don't worry. Go to biggerpockets.com, order the book there. Because then you'll have like, you know, again, you know, some tools that will complement the book for you. I love that. And uh, I mean, Bigger Pockets is one of the most incredible communities too. So I'm so glad that they uh, that they recognized your value, picked you up as part of their publishing house. It's, it's really, really exciting. So I will include a link in the show notes um, to where people can pre-order or order the, the book. And um, 
I know that you've, as we mentioned at the start of the show, uh, the the coaching, mentoring that you do. Um, I know in the, the first episode, which listeners, if you haven't heard that, go back and hear Whitney's full story. But Whitney, if people did want to connect with you on a, a deeper, more personal level, um, where would you send them for that? Yeah, you can join me at ashwealth.com, A-S-H wealth.com. Perfect. Well, we'll include a link to that below as well. And then, of course, you can check out AbundantJourney.net, sign up for the newsletter, make sure that you uh, stay in the loop on all of the happenings as Nick and I continue to grow this and continue to connect with amazing folks like Whitney uh, to help you in advancing your abundant journey. So Whitney, again, just can't thank you enough. So excited for you. Uh, Thank you for writing this book. Thank you for sharing it with us and our listeners and uh, wish you all the the success in the world that it will have a a far and wide reach, not just uh, for yourself, but uh, for the benefit of all of those who get their hands on it. Yeah. Thank you for allowing me to, you know, educate people about the book and, you know, spill some knowledge for them. Absolutely. Right on. Well, we will be back again very soon. Thanks everybody.